Welcome to On The Spot with Melinda Garvey, the On The Dot interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On The Spot, now available every Thursday on your favorite podcast streaming services. Today, I'm sitting down with the former president of Walt Disney Resorts, Meg Crofton, in her very first podcast debut. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of On The Spot. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey, and I'm really, really excited to be here today with a woman that I've had the great pleasure of getting to know, actually, over the last couple of months, once in person and a lot via email. And I'm really, truly excited to introduce you to her today. She is an incredible role model. Her name is Meg Crofton, and she is the former president of Walt Disney Parks and Resorts in the U.S. and France. She's now retired from that amazing career, but still out there and active and now doing a lot of things for women and mentoring and and things like that. So we're just excited to have you here today and your experience. And um, we've got a couple special surprises in store for you from Meg as well. So um, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here with you and your audience. Thank you. Well, you have had an incredible career and journey along the way. And I would love for you just to kind of just talk a little bit, because I think that sometimes when people hear, oh gosh, she was the president of Walt Disney Parks and Resorts, like no one doesn't get that that's a really big deal. And, you know, you think, oh gosh, well, I, how do I relate to her? Well, I think that path really, though, is so similar. And even some of the things that, you know, you went through, you know, even as you were getting this big position, you know, you started out as a a shy cheerleader, I I saw that you once said, and so it was maybe a bit surprising that you ended up where you are. So tell us a little bit about that journey in your life and the journey through Disney and how you sort of got to where you are today. Sure. And I think it's such a, it's so interesting to hear and to share journeys because very few of us wake up, I think, with a calling, lucky enough to have a calling for what we do. I mean, I, I know people who have that and I'm I just think it's wonderful, but most of us kind of take the ride. And so I often am asked, do I have a goal to become the president of Walt Disney World and and our U.S. parks in France? And the answer is no, so far from it. So I grew up on the Space Coast of Florida. I think that growing up at a time when the space industry was taking off and ambitious and audacious goals were set, it influenced me as a child. I was the oldest and the only girl of uh, four children uh, that my parents had. And um, I think I was born with a drive level that was nuclear and an overdeveloped sense of responsibility. Like a rocket seed. So, um, and my parents, I was very fortunate, you know, always, always believed and, and passed along to all their kids that, you know, you can be and do anything that you want. So I always accomplished a lot. I worked hard. I tried my best and I accomplished a lot. But as you said, I was very shy. And so my father was one of my early mentors. And I remember as I was getting ready to go off to college, I asked my dad for some advice. And I said, Dad, I'm, you know, I'm so shy. I mean, how do I get over this? And he said, well, you know, part of it's your nature. You're an introvert by by nature and you can't change that. But he said, you can take speech classes every quarter and you can run for office in the clubs that you decide to join. And so I did all that. I followed my father's advice dutifully. But to the cheerleading example that you mentioned, I, I went off to college and I decided to really push myself. What would be an example of one of the hardest things that a shy person could ever undertake? And so I tried out for cheerleading. And unfortunately for me, I made the squad. And it was, <laughs> every day was the most, was just miserable. 
And I learned a great lesson from that, one of my first real important lessons in life. And that's that it's really great to push yourself to grow and develop and, you know, become everything that you can be, but not pushing yourself to become someone you're not. Because sometimes it's that tiny little differential, you know, you think, oh, well, if I'm not pushing myself hard enough, then, you know, I'm not doing this. But if you really understand and know yourself, you know, understanding where that boundary is, I think that's a great lesson. Yes. Any time we can spend and really understanding our own wiring and staying true to our spirit and our internal uh, sense of what is true north for ourselves is, is an important life lesson. I majored in college and in marketing and I loved it. I, I think marketing, it's helped me in leadership, believe it or not, just, just in how to communicate with people. Uh, selling products and services is very uh, analogous in my mind, some of the principles to shaping minds and hearts around vision and direction. So I majored in marketing and stayed and got uh, my graduate degree there, my MBA. And then I wanted to go with an industry that was just been deregulated because you know they would need marketing, right? right? So at that time, and I'm dating myself, this is back in 1975, telecom and banking were the two industries. And I ended up in telecom and I went to work for a company and I it was a great job right out of grad school and marketing research, which was what I really loved. But that's when I learned one of my second big lessons in life, which is it's important to look at your whole life, not just work. And you, you can't compartmentalize it. And so this was a fabulous job with a great company. And it was in a tiny little town. And I was, you know, single and right out of college. And it was like, I, my responsibility chip, I worked there for a couple of years, but I was not happy personally. So I decided to take a leap and write to Disney back in the days when Disney never really hired anybody from outside the company directly into management. And as fate would have it, they were looking for someone to start a marketing department for their telecom company. They had their own. So that's how I got started at Disney. Another life lesson I say there is that when I went to resign from my job in the telecom company, my boss said, oh, Meg, if we'd have only known you didn't like your location, we would have moved you to Hawaii. Oh. <laughs> so, so that so was the lesson I, here is you don't get what you don't ask for. Exactly. <laughs> and it's important. You know, I, early on in my career, I kind of compartmentalized things. You know, here's my professional life and here's my personal life and I'm not going to uh, mix them. And, you know, it's important to tell your company what are the things that are important to you in your life. So lesson learned there. Well, hey, uh, I, I've been to Disney World many times and I'm not sure Hawaii has anything, you know, <laughs> Even the big kid in all of us knows it's an incredibly special place. So I think that magic was just waiting for you. I do too, Melinda. I do too. I think there are no very few coincidences in life and the things that came together that, that got me that in that place. I, I've often reflected on that, that it was meant to be. And it was magic. I loved it from the second that I was there. I uh, started the marketing department for him and worked there for a couple of years and then Thinking very uh, narrowly about my career choices, I always thought, okay, my career choice is telecom. And I got offered a job at AT&T headquarters in, in New York in marketing. And I thought I needed to go do that because, you know, that was my career path. Right. So I, I left Disney and that was back in the days when if you left, they would not hire you back no matter what. Mm -hmm. And my now husband, then boyfriend, drove me up to New York and I, I cried apparently all the way. And he would pull off every once in a while and say, now tell me again why you're doing this. And I said, you know, I, I should, you know, it's all in my head. So I, I had a great experience. I learned a lot and I was there about three years and then Rich and I decided to get married and I put in for a transfer to Atlanta where he was living with the Bell System at the time. And my old boss at Disney called and he said, you know, you left your heart here. 
And I knew that was truth. And he said, I've gone to the first president of Walt Disney World, and I've gotten special permission to bring you back. I talked to Rich, and he was willing to make the move to Orlando. And so we moved back there, and I started with Disney and back running the operations for their phone company. After that, I knew I was never going to leave Disney. I found my place, and I wanted to learn everything that I could about the company. So I raised my hand for every kind of special assignment and eventually got more mainstream Disney. I ran their hotels. I did convention sales and service. I opened parks around the world. I spent about half my career in, um, in staff roles and half my career running operations. And I love every single minute of it for 35 years. Well, and I want to just point out one thing that you said, because it, it's so funny. Uh, we're so alike in so many ways, because I actually tell a lot of my younger employees, when you say you raise your hand for everything, that's me. I was always like, I, I'll do it. I'll do it. And people would look at me going, well, you don't have, and I just would figure it out because here's the newsflash. You think things are so hard, but at the end of the day, you know, when you just get in and you can always figure things out and there are always people who will help you. But if you don't ever raise your hand, you'll never know. And I feel like, um, especially I want to say to this younger generation, uh, you know, about being brave and doing that because it's okay to fail and it's okay to not know. And it's okay to not, you know, when you're applying for a job, you know, women will only apply if they have a hundred percent of the qualifications where men 30, 40% max. And they're like, Oh, I'm, I got this. We need to have more of that mentality. So I, I love that. Just the, the, just the raise your hand and just have the confidence that you're going to figure it out or somebody's going to help you. Cause they're going to be so impressed that you actually raise your hand and say, you'll, you know, you'll do it. Yeah, I agree, Melinda. And one of the things that I learned from changing major industries within Disney. Um, you know, I went from running the phone company to being the general manager of a hotel overnight. Trust me, I knew nothing about hotels. But to your point, I think if you are willing to ask people, please show me, please teach me, I'm willing to learn, you know, job shadow, get in costume, you know, do some of these roles and you learn. I've never had anybody that wasn't willing to help me if I simply asked and you can learn and then and then you can figure out how you can contribute and be, you know, why, why you're there. Um, so I, I learned that lesson many times in my career and I, like you, I really encourage people to, you know, take a leap of faith. We're going to move next to our little special surprise. But um, I, I have to ask you, you said something about getting in costume. Have you ever gotten in costume and which ones? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I had um, really, what I did when I became the president of Walt Disney World was I wanted to make sure that I, I always think the truth resides out there where the intersection of, of the guest and the cast members, as we call them. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to see that in action. And I wanted to have relationships with our team. So a couple times a month, I would get in costume, go out and work side by side. I did everything. I mean, everything. That the okay, what was your favorite one? <laughs> oh, you know, that's like asking to say what's your favorite <laughs> child. Um, I, I loved it. I loved going what we called backstage to areas that, you know, no, nobody ever went to the warehouses, to the laundry facilities, to those kinds of places and working side by side and understanding how dedicated to the mission of making magic those team members were. I loved going out in costume on stage and being, you know, with our cast members and interacting with the guests directly. Um, I always learned a lot. It, it was very fulfilling and it always grounded me in what our mission was uh, to create happiness for people. I received way more than I gave, I can assure you. 
Well, okay, so I'm going to circle back around to that shy cheerleader, and the little surprise we have is Meg is a prolific journaler, and she has been really all, I mean, you know, some of the, the entries that, that you sent me to read, which I appreciate so much because they were just beautiful and wonderful, were written even when you were in college, but um, I asked Meg, if she would be willing to read an excerpt from your journal. And I think that this stepping into, especially, it's, it's really about this this new, this big, when you got to this sort of pinnacle role that you took on and, and what that took for you mentally and emotionally, you know, to get there. So I'm just really pleased that you agreed to, to share that because it's really personal stuff, but it has so many great pieces of advice and elements to it that I think you'll love. So take sure. it away, Meg. Thank you. For me, journaling is a combination of wanting to codify lessons and experiences for myself so that I can remember them. And I turns out I need to learn the lessons more than one time in life. They're refresher courses for me, but also um, hope that uh, I've been able to pay forward to other people on their journey. So this one, uh, I always start with the day, the place that I was when I wrote it, and a quote that seemed to capture the essence of what I was feeling at the time. So this is August 17th, 2006 in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. And the quote that I chose was actually a quote from Walt Disney. All our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. Woman to run Walt Disney World. That's the story on the front page of the newspaper this morning. I have just become only the fourth president of Walt Disney World in 35 years and the first woman. Frankly, I'm astounded that, such, that a headline such as this would even be run. Although the editorial cartoon depicting me telling an astonished Mickey, many will be taking over from now, amuses me so much that I clip it out. <laughs> novelty is news and difference is news. I just hope no one believes it's novelty or difference that got me here. Over the past three decades, I have worked with three companies in a variety of disciplines in both staff and operational roles. I've been given incredible developmental opportunities and outstanding mentoring during my career with Disney. The offer of this new role comes with one of the greatest pieces of advice of my entire career. The chairman of our business at the time tells me, Meg, by this time in your life and career, you have earned the right to do what it is that will make you happy. There are several job choices for you and the company cannot lose, whichever one you take. My advice is to imagine that it is the day after the announcement of your new job. Visualize yourself in the role and the type of work you will be doing then ask yourself if that is what will make you happy. I've taken his advice and I've thought long and hard about my options. I have consciously chosen this role. And I am sure, maybe more sure of this than I've ever been in my career. I know the business and the people here at Walt Disney World. It's been home to me for 27 years. And while so many people are asking me, aren't you scared inside? It sure is a big job. I honestly do not feel scared. They are right about the scope of the position. But in my heart, I know that I am stepping into a role that will leverage the variety and depth of all of my experiences to date. I also know the talent and dedication of the team is deep, and the success of Walt Disney World is the result of many minds and hearts. This is not a position that I ever planned to achieve, but now that I am here, I know it is my dream job. But I am very aware of at least one aspect of the job in which I face a steep learning curve, being the face of Disney externally. For nearly three decades, I have advanced my career without having to make external presentations, speak to the media, or assume significant leadership roles in the community. This job is different. The external facing work is part of the role. In fact, it's a significant part of it. Already, my calendar contains 47 speaking engagements and 15 media events over the next 12 months. 
I've been asked to serve on a lot of boards in the community. Strangers are recognizing me as the president of Walt Disney World. Last weekend at 7 a.m. at the farmer's market when I was wearing exercise clothes and no makeup. To adjust to this new public side of my life, I reach out to a coach. She sits with me and conducts a brief interview. And when it's done, she says, gee, Meg, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's risen to as visible a position as this with such a lack of experience in external engagement. The observation does not inspire my confidence. Right now, I don't want to be a pioneer, but I work with her and many others. I take their lessons to heart. My husband soon learns that when I have a speech coming up, he's going to hear it over and over again. And over time, something wonderful happens. This part of the job in which I have no experience becomes one of my greatest personal and professional rewards. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. And I mean, I don't even know where to start with the lessons that are just in this one piece. I think that, you know, going back to pushing yourself to being the cheerleader and being miserable, but then pushing yourself to doing this, but knowing that was within that boundary and where you have come now, I think is just incredible. And I love that you reached out for help. I think as women, we sometimes think, oh gosh, people are going to look at me if I don't know how to do this. But you said, Laura, I got to do this and I'm going to do it well. And you reached out for help. And even from someone who was gobsmacked that you, <laughs> you didn't have the experience. I mean, whoa, that would have been a little bit of a, a, a pill to swallow, but you kept pushing on. And I think that, that all of these things as women, but also seeing that you're just like us, all of us would have had those same fears and some of us would have not taken the role because of it. So I just think that it's just an incredible, I, I just appreciate you, you sharing that and with that transparency of where you were at that time. So let's talk a little bit about women and sort of where you are now. I watched a couple of talks that you did and, and you talk about the fact that you often get asked about advice for women leaders, that really it was sort of this dawning or awakening that you really hadn't looked at yourself necessarily as a woman leader. And then flash forward to that headline about woman to run Disney, you know, felt so bizarre to you. Like, I, I guess, that, you know, where we are now in the throes of this women's movement, like how thoughts change and your feelings about this and do you think are important for women leaders today? Well, it's been a real journey for me. When I was first in, in school, in the business school, there weren't very many women. I can remember being invited to join a women's business club and saying kind of no thank you. I don't want to be looked at as a woman in business. I want to be looked at as a person in business and evaluated based upon my talent, my contribution, whatever. I'd say stuck in that space for quite a while, Melinda. And, uh, and I look back on it and it was naive and idealistic and, and all of those things. I can remember so many times early in my career, people asking me, what advice do you have for women in leadership? And I'd say the same advice I'd give a man. Or they'd say, would you come and speak to a women's group? And I'd say, yes, if you'll invite men. You know, I sort of had this very idealistic view. I did get a huge, I didn't think of myself as a role model for women in leadership. I was just trying to be a great leader to people and trying to do my, my best to make a contribution to my company. I didn't really think very much about it. And I, I say that, I admit that now, I'm not proud of it, but that was the reality for me. Then I got into very senior level position and realized that both internally and externally, I was, whether I volunteered for it or not, I was a role model, and that people needed and expected me to have a role, to have a point of view. And at that point, I also began to look 
really opened my eyes to the reality of the statistics and which were and are still dismal. And I said to myself, gosh, you know, I can't, I, I just can't live in this bubble. It's just not, it's not happening. Uh, just by the strength of sheer contribution and talent of women, A, we are not getting to the places that we need to in, in leadership. And I just said, en- enough, I have to do my part. I have to be very active. So I embraced that with a lot of enthusiasm. At about the same time, my company at the direction of, of our CEO, Bob Iger, he started a women's initiative and came to me as one of the women in the company to help lead that. And I thought, wow, what a full circle moment that now I said, you bet, sign me up. And I loved it. And since then have been very active, whether it's in individual one-on-one mentoring or whether it's speaking to women's forums, to belonging to International Women's Forum and Women's Corporate Directors and all of these groups that early on in my career, I would have said, no, I don't want to do that. So I think for me, it has been a full circle journey. And I am, I really believe in diversity and inclusion. And I think those are absolutely things that they need to live together. You can have diversity without inclusion. I do think that there are differences in the challenges that women have in leadership. And I've learned a lot from talking with women about that. I'm just out here trying to do my part now. Right. Well, that, and that's wonderful. And of course, as you know, our, our mission on the dot is, is about providing relatable role models like you every day, because that is when I heard that that was one of the, the key issues facing women, in addition to you know, lack of access to capital, continuing education, technology, all of those things, I thought, how is that possible? I know so many incredible women. And I think that you know, having, especially I think women in the corporate world, this isn't the first conversation like this I've had where especially women at senior levels, sort of had this awakening because I think that they felt like they would be less than. It is interesting what's happening because I think that corporate women especially not only have been siloed, but also have so much to give. I think that if we can bring together female entrepreneurs and corporate women, because we both have such different experience, it's such a powerful combination for this women's movement. So just important on so many levels. So just as we sort of wrap up today, I'd love to know a little bit about what's next for you. It's me begging you to uh, write that book where you share all your journal entries because they're so amazing. So I'm, I'm going to continue to campaign for that. But what's, what's next for you? Well, I'm still figuring it out. I'm at, you know, stepping off the career that I had with Diz for the first time in my life, I didn't have a plan. In fact, my plan was not to have a plan. So I tried to be very intentional about thinking about how I want to spend my time. And with this newfound time and freedom, part of my DNA is to continue to do meaningful work. And I have to, I have to do that. So I do some board work to remain credible and relevant and so that I can learn. I do an enormous amount of mentoring for people that I meet, mostly women now, but also men as well. That's really my heart work. I do some leadership talks to a variety of organizations, sort of those universal truths about leadership and and leading teams that I really enjoy. And then I try to reserve a lot of time for my own learning. I want to continue to be able to, you know, grow and and to learn. And I think that that old saying that, you know, the, the day the teacher stops being a student, they're not effective as a teacher anymore. So there's just so much to learn and so many opportunities to continue to grow. So I'm excited about this second chapter in my life and very grateful for the time and the freedom to be able to do some of these things. 
I would say if, if I were to boil it down to a personal mission and my meaning in the work that I do, it's that I really enjoy helping people become the best version of themselves. And I have spent a lot of time, we started talking today about the importance of really knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think there is tremendous power in that. And we can take a lot of input from people and there's wonderful resources out there. But at the end of the day, we need to have our own true north and listen, turn down the noise and listen to our own heart, our own spirit and, uh, and follow that. I spend a lot of time, I share my journey, but I also spend a lot of time asking people questions or playing back to them what I hear in their words and where I see their energy pop up when they're talking about what they would really love to do, but they aren't doing. So I, I just enjoy that very much. And so well, it's a great uh, piece of advice because I think with so much noise in the world and with social media and how we compare ourselves and we see people and we think, oh gosh, they're so much further ahead than I am, or I need to be doing that rather than really just stopping and, and focusing on that true north. So I think that's a, a wonderful piece of advice for us. And just as we close, I would love to, because you and I have talked about this, I'd love to, for you to tell about your philosophy on role models, because I think you and I have a similar philosophy. I often ask, you know, who's your role model? And, and I know I answer the same way that you do, but I'd like you just to talk about it because I think it's important for women to hear because it's what we're trying to do with On The Dot. And I want to encourage women to seek out these role models. Sure. I get asked the question a lot, who is your role model? When I answer it, I worry that I disappoint people because I never give a name or a person. Basically, my philosophy is that I've never looked to one person to be everything. This is my role model for everything, for everything in life, everything in leadership. That said, oh, I just think there is incredible power in identifying people, whether you know them personally or not, or whether you read about them in a book or whatever, identifying what is it about that person, how they lead, how they communicate, how they live their life, what their values are. What is it about that person that I want to learn more about? And being very intentional about it, asking them questions, reading more about that particular aspect. So I kind of look to people in all aspects of my life. I really admire that about that person. What can I do to learn more about how they develop that skill or that point of view? And how can I be intentional about asking them questions? So, you know, if I go through my life, my role models have been, you know, everybody from my mom and dad to a professor in college to several leaders that I was lucky enough to work for to my husband who has my opposite kind of personality and style. And I just love his ability to be still and not have to be so productive and (laughs) wired to achieve every minute of the day. Except when you have that honey-do list, right? Well, well, I gave up on those honey-do lists. They don't work. That's one of those life lessons. And of course, Mickey and Minnie Mouse and just that pure joy that all the Disney characters dole out. I think that they are great role models for that. I do too. I I would add Tinkerbell to that list. Oh, absolutely. Love me. Kind of feisty. But like you and I talked, I think it is really important to learn from other people and to have role models for a lot of different things. I just don't ever want to assign the responsibility to any one person to be my role model for everything. And I don't want that for myself. You know, when people say, oh, you're such a role model, I go, well, I hope so. I can help for some things. But, you know, 
It's a great philosophy and it's the whole reason why we do content every single day with all kinds of different women because we really believe that there are these little nuggets you're going to see and as you're seeing someone else's path, you might say, hmm, that's an interesting stepping stone. I like that. I'm going to pull that stepping stone for me. And then you see somebody else and you pull a stepping stone and pretty soon you have all the stepping stones for your path that came from all of these various and different women and role models. So I I think that that's phenomenal. So thank you so much. And it was absolutely a, a joy and wonderful to talk to you. And thank you for sharing so transparently. And I really mean that about that book. I'm going to keep bugging you about that. And after our after our listeners hear that journal excerpt, I'm sure they're probably going to be finding you and asking for it too. So thank you so much. And I wish you all the very best and know that we're going to stay connected, but I appreciate you being on the show today and, and sharing with our listeners. Thank you so much, Melinda. I really appreciate and value what you're doing. And good luck to you and to all your listeners. Have a great day. Looking for more inspiration, advice, and direction? Subscribe to our free daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot, where we provide you with the tools and motivation you need to get out there and be the badass you are meant to be. Tune in next Thursday, where we sit down with Kelly Gaysink, the co-founder of Austin Cocktails and one of the panelists at the See It To Be It Success Summit on Thursday, October 18th in Austin, Texas. Have you purchased your tickets for the See It To Be It Success Summit? What are you waiting for? Use the promo code on the spot for $24 off your purchase of a general admission ticket. Head on over to onthedotwoman.com to purchase your tickets today.